in the midst of uncertainty, sometimes you got to trust the process. When you are filled with fear and there is a challenge in front of you, sometimes if you have a positive attitude, when you choose faith over fear, an opportunity can be gained. When we were entering in that season of pandemic a few years ago and we were told that we were closed and we could no longer worship in person in this building. You guys remember that time? It was about a week into it and I and I came up with an idea. I gathered our staff around. I said, we can't meet in person, but what if we invite our church family to come in their cars, stay in their vehicles in the parking lot, and we have a church worship service on the roof? Now, some of you were, you remembered, you came and you were excited. I wish everybody on our staff had your enthusiasm. Because I heard every reason on why it wasn't going to work. It wasn't safe. It wouldn't work. There's no way we could do this. It's not safe. We were going to get in trouble. And, but I said, trust me in this. Trust me. And then uh, a week later, we successfully had a a, a worship service. I got to preach on the roof. You guys actually came, and we had a moment, didn't we? It was like we we were kind of like doing something outside the box, and we were like renegade church, and it was it was okay, right? And and then I had another idea. I said, you know, we got kids coming. They're in the vehicles, and we need to keep their attention. I said, I'm teaching this week on the Good Shepherd. Um, Let's let's bring a sheep up on the on the roof with me, and I'll I'll hold the sheep in my arms as I'm I'm sharing the gospel. And once again, the critics came out and said, "You can't do this. If we if we drop that sheep, or if it runs off the roof, and it's a live church worship stream, it's over. We're, we'll never recover from it." I said, "Trust me. You got to trust me." And so, guess what happened? We brought the sheep up on the roof, and it worked. That sheep survived. My faith was increasing. And so the next week I was going to teach on that story in the Bible where the friends lowered their friend from the roof, right, to get to Jesus. And, and I said, I, I got an idea. And, 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 and they pushed back. They said, we can't, you, you can't lower somebody from the roof. Like if we drop them, and it, it just would be terrible. And, and, and really I got the, the greatest pushback from someone on our executive team. He said, John, I've known you your whole life. Uh, we can't do this. It's just not worth the risk. It's not worth the safety of this individual. It could go really bad if this goes wrong. I said, Matt, you got you to gotta trust me in this. Trust me. I know a guy. I know a guy who's not afraid of heights. And, and I, said, he's, I said, he's dating my, my daughter. His name is Luke Brogdon, and, and Matt said, what if he falls and we drop him? I said, if he dies, he dies. <laughs> but if he lives, perhaps he's God's will for my daughter. And you know what happened? He survived, and he married my daughter. He's a good son-in-law. Sometimes you need confirmation of God's will other than the word of God, right? But we do need the word of God too. So please open your Bibles to the New Testament, 2 Timothy. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm so excited that you're here for the start of our brand new series called Trust in This. Paul is writing this letter in 64 AD to his young protege, Timothy. And it was during a very 
difficult time. It was a, a horrible time in Christian church history. It may mark the highest of church persecution. The Roman ruler was Nero. Less than a year ago, I was in Rome and got to walk the gardens of Nero's palace. It was A lot of it was in rubble, but it was there in Nero's gardens that the Nero's torches were lit. He would literally take Christians, cover them in tar, strap them to beams, hoist them up, and in the evening he would set them on fire so he could lighten up his gardens at night. It was truly a difficult time. It was a dark time. People were afraid. And so Timothy was afraid, and he was under this, this backdrop, this, this time of chaos and darkness that, that Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter. And he's saying, trust in this. Trust in the word of God. Trust in Jesus. Trust in his promises. And the same word that was inspired by the Holy Spirit written in 64 A.D. is alive for us today. We can trust in this. No matter what you're facing, no matter what the uncertainty is, no matter what's causing you to be afraid, you can trust in the character of God. You can trust in Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? So he writes to Timothy in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy a beloved son. Now, Timothy was not Paul's real son. He wasn't his biological son. He was his spiritual son. It was the kind of son that you have in a, in a special family, spiritual family relationship that's formed, kind of like in our small groups, where discipleship happens. So Paul is entrusting the gospel. He's poured his life into Timothy. And now this is a time where Paul's not promised tomorrow. He is in a cold cell. He's in prison. He doesn't know if execution's going to happen. This is one of his last letters. He doesn't know if he's going to be beheaded or he'll be Nero's next human torch. And so he's writing to him, and he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. You know what my hope is for you? You know what I pray for you every single week? Is that you would have a clean conscience. When you go to bed at night, you know what will help you have a good night's sleep? Is having a relaxed mind that comes from having a clean conscience before God and other people around you. That when you don't have sin in your life unconfessed before God, and when you don't have conflict with other people, when that's resolved, you can have a good conscience before God. And that's a good place to be. And Paul says, that's what I have. I have, I have a pure conscience. And he says, in the midst of the uncertainty, I'm in a, he's in a jail cell, right? This is his last letter. And, and he says, I have a pure conscience. And he says, he thanks God. In the midst of difficulty, he has gratitude. And this is how we battle difficult times, with gratitude. We thank God for the blessings that we have. We thank God for who he is. We thank God for the word of God. And he says, I do this as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I, re when I call to remember it's the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt in first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. 
and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He's saying, remember that moment when you didn't have any confidence because I taught you many things, but there was this moment when I laid hands that there was this, this spiritual impartation that happened. Some things can be taught. Other things must be caught. And this is calling of God on Timothy's life. He's, he's saying, remember this. Remember this faith that was in your grandmother, that was in your mom, that is in you. He's saying, don't forget you are part of a spiritual legacy. Don't give in and be afraid. He's saying, remember. Verse 7, this is the, the scripture I want us to really focus on today. In fact, I challenge you to memorize it this week, all right? It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. If you've already memorized it or if you intend to memorize it, can we say this scripture out loud together as a church family? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Let's do it once more. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. One more. Let's let it get inside of us and speak and quote it with confidence and conviction, okay? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Do you believe in that? Trust in that. When you're afraid, when you're tempted, quote the word of God. Stand upon the word of God. Trust in this. And then he says in verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. I imagine that Timothy was afraid. He was shy. He was shy. He was afraid to speak up about the gospel. And you certainly can understand that persecution is a real thing. People were dying. Paul's saying there's so much that, that, that is important that you've got to understand. It can't end with you, Timothy. In fact, another translation says this, this word fear is better translated into timidity. In fact, Paul says it's, it's a spirit. It's something that can just like take over you. He's saying don't give in to the spirit of timidity. It's keeping you from what God has called you to do. So I ask, what are you currently facing that's causing you to be anxious? What are you struggling with that is for far too long the enemy has just robbed joy, he's robbed peace, he's robbed this, this sense of purpose and your confidence and, and the Lord wants you to be set free and be delivered. What is that one thing that you are being faced with that causes you to be afraid? What is that one kingdom opportunity in front of you that maybe someone else has tapped you on the shoulder and it's given you an opportunity in small group to lead a devotion or, or to pray or even make a step of faith to be trained to become a small group leader or be a part of a, a new ch church planting team. What is it? Maybe witnessing at, at your workplace, on your school campus, maybe showing the compassion or love of Jesus for someone in need in your neighborhood. What is that one thing that says, I, I just don't know, it, and, and you just get overwhelmed with anxiety or doubt? I like the verse, 2 Timothy 1.7, in the Amplified translation. It says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he gave, he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result 
and a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. A calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. Again, Paul is he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter. And he's writing it to Timothy, and he knows that Timothy is struggling. He knows that he's young. That's why in another letter he says, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but be an example in faith and love, speech and purity. He knows that he's young. He knows that he's afraid. He knows that he's shy. He's not in the best of health. In another place of Scripture, Paul encourages Timothy to drink a little bit of wine to calm his stomach. In fact, Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. He's, he's saying, Timothy is coming. And he says this, when Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. He is doing the Lord's work just as I am. He's preparing the people. He's saying, hey, when he comes, don't intimidate him. Don't give him a hard time. No hazing, right? No practical jokes, no shenanigans. Like, we need to build his confidence. We need to encourage him. I mean, he, Paul went out of his way to write a letter to the church in Corinth ahead of Timothy's arrival. Timothy is going to be the next pastor. He's getting the baton for Paul to continue the work of God. So imagine being Timothy. Imagine being unsure. People that you know are dying. Your mentor is in prison, probably not going to make it out. And you're doubting. You're doubting God's calling on your life. You're afraid to even talk about Jesus or the good news to other people. You're afraid. It's this type of spirit, that the spirit of power and love and sound mind. It, we see it throughout the Bible. Moses was inspired to tell Joshua in chapter 1, verse 9, Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Some of us need to be reminded of that. We think we're trying to do things without God's presence and our own ability and strength. And if we try, we're going to fall flat. We're going to fail. But if we're reminded to do things and speak things by faith, knowing that the presence of the Holy Spirit is with us wherever we go, we don't have to be afraid. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We must believe in that. Trust in that. Believe that that God has that in store. So he's telling Timothy, he's saying, I want you to stir this gift that's inside of you. And Paul's saying, hey, I, I know what it feels like. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. In fact, he tells the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. It's not weak to be afraid. It's a very common human response. But it is a problem when we dwell on those fears and those worries and it takes over us and it becomes a spirit that really paralyzes us, paralyzes our thought life, paralyzes our ability to function in a natural way, especially a way that God wants for you. And so Paul's saying there's a there's an internal battle going on. I know what I know what it feels like, but I'm not going to give over to fear. I'm going to give over to faith. And by faith, I'll be strong and courageous. I like what the missionary Hudson Taylor said. Many Christians estimate difficulty in the light of their own resources, and thus they attempt very little, and they always fail. All giants have been weak men 
who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and presence to be with him. I remember during a season in 2018 where it was a very difficult season where I nearly burned out. And uh, for the first time in my life, I, I know what it felt like to have anxiety. Before then, I didn't have a lot of uh, empathy for people who struggled with mental health issues. But when I went through my storm, uh, I, the Lord allowed me to go through a, a place of brokenness. Um, and he was so close to me, and I'll never trade that experience because it marked me with humility. It marked me with a greater dependence upon the Lord, and it gave me the ability to have empathy for others who struggle. So God has purpose in what he allows if we will trust in him. But the enemy comes as a lion to steal, kill, and destroy, and he will try to, to tempt you to give, away, give way to fear. And fear shows up in different ways. Here's seven ways the enemy will attack you with fear. First, with shame. He'll try to remind you of the sins in the past, like a shadow that lurks over your shoulder, constantly reminding you that there's no way that you can do anything, either small or significant, for the Lord. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Lord, he is faithful and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says he remembers our sins no more from the east to the west. Isn't that good news? That God doesn't remember our sins of the past when we confess and repent of our sins and turn from God. So when the enemy or you yourself try to remind yourself that you're disqualified from moving forward because of the sins of the past, remind yourself that you are forgiven, that you are a new creation in Christ. New things are in front of you. The former things are gone. Amen? Don't let shame bring fear in your life. The second way the enemy will cause you to be afraid is through foolishness. Foolishness. The enemy wants you to feel foolish about coming to church on Time Change Sunday. The enemy will try to tempt you saying you need an extra hour of rest this weekend. Praise God. Thank all of you for coming to the house of God. And I believe God's going to bless you and encourage you as you worship and you spend time with your brothers and sisters in the presence of God. Amen. The enemy's going to try to make you feel foolish in the eyes of your friends or family if you give money to the Lord. He's going to make you try to feel foolish by confessing a sin to someone in your small group. Don't give in to the, the temptation to look foolish. Because it's, it's easy for the enemy to, to cripple us by making us feel afraid of looking crazy. The third way that we can be afraid is through uncertainty. The enemy wants you to feel doubt about not feeling secure. Some of you are wired in a way that you have to have every step analyzed, prepared, and planned. And you won't move forward unless every I is dotted, every T is crossed. But there are moments the Lord wants you to take steps of faith, even though you can't see far enough in the future. You can't see what's around the corner. There's a big God-sized puzzle for you. And for some of you, he's just given you one piece of that jigsaw puzzle. And you're going to have to trust in him. Imagine Peter felt like that in that storm in the boat. But when he saw Jesus walking on the water, he was like, that's my God. That's my Lord. That's my mentor. If he can do it, I can do it. And so he got out and he walked on the boat on the water when the others stayed in the boat. So even in times of uncertainty, we must trust the Lord 
that we can be faithful in the very first steps in front of us. God will always honor the trial if your heart is pure and good before him. Another way the enemy would try to bring fear into your life is through opposition. He will use people, whether they know it or not, to be great critics, to attack you, to discourage you. Silence every voice that is not from God. It's not from the Lord. Don't allow it to paralyze you or to take away your confidence in him. Another way that the enemy will cause you to be afraid is through pain. Physical pain, right? Especially if it's unknown what it is. And he'll try to get you in your mind to think the worst case scenario, especially if you start Googling it, right? Like all the bad thoughts are coming in. And it'll cripple you. It'll paralyze you. You're better than what you think you are. You're not dying. You're not, it's not going to be as bad as what you think. Many times we think it is, right? And we, we lose sleep over it. And we worry over it. The enemy loves making us afraid. Sometimes it's relational pain or emotional pain, mental pain. The enemy wants to rob you of your peace. Another way the enemy wants you to be afraid is through failure. Through failure. It's okay to fail, right? As long as we don't make the same mistake over and over and over. Failure can be a very wise teacher. We can learn from those painful experiences and move forward. So don't allow the fear of failure to cripple you. Fail forward. Another way the enemy will try to make us feel afraid is through rejection. That's probably the number one reason why we don't open up our mouth and talk about the good news of Jesus. Because we're afraid of what other people will think. We're afraid of what if they decline my invitation to church. What if they don't listen to the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. But we can't allow the fear of rejection to keep us from opening up our mouth and witnessing about the good news of Jesus. Amen. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the Lord. And so, as followers of Jesus, we can't give in to the spirit of fear or timidity, but rather we can exchange that for a spirit of power, love, and sound mind. So Paul is saying, Timothy, I believe in you. Trust me in this. Trust the, the spiritual gift that's inside of you. And then he gives wonderful imagery. He gives an imagery of a, a fire. He says, stir up the gift, fan into flame. How many of you have ever been camping? Or you put, uh, you, you try to start a fire in a fireplace without gas, without like natural gas. How many of you have ever done that? All right, so you know when you get either paper or you get those shavings and kindling and then you start making that, that TP and then you light the, the, the fire, light that paper, right? And it starts to catch on and, and but then that fire you can see it just start going out what do you do in that moment you blow on it you know that those embers are, that, that it needs to get oxygen so you blow on it or you or you fan it and what happens you start to see that that little spark that little ember that fire it starts to you get bigger and bigger as a result of that oxygen. And that's what Paul is doing to Timothy. And may the word of God do in you that there is a gift inside of you. Don't allow it to go out because of fear. But allow the, it to be fanned into flame through the breath of the Holy Spirit to fulfill what God has called you to do. Amen. He has his best days in life in front of you. Trust him. Be willing to have a step of faith and confidence because who you serve is unchanging. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
The author of Hebrews says, since you were surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, run your race, fixing your eyes on Jesus, who endured the cross for the joy set before him, letting go of all the weight and the sin that so easily entangles you. So you let go of the fear, let go of the weight, the anxiety, the pressure, the shame, the failure, all of it. You let go and you fix your eyes on Jesus and you move forward. And Jesus, who is the author and the finisher, the beginning and the end, he will help you. He will be with you. He will give you everything you need to move forward. I like what the author of Hebrews said. He said, Jesus makes intercession for you. Isn't that good news that Jesus is praying for us? He's lifting us up. He's calling our names out as his children. General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said the tendency of fires to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Guard your heart. Protect that precious gift that's inside of you. Keep it aflame, and you do that through abiding with the Lord. You do it when you come together in a small group. You come when you worship the Lord with your church family, and you begin to worship and get in the praise presence of the Lord, and you lift up the name of Jesus. What happens is you, you turn your eyes off of your problems, the crisis, the things in your life, and you put your eyes on Jesus. We need to have a bigger view of God. When we come in his presence and we worship and adore him, our view of God, our thoughts of God get bigger and bigger. The one reason that we, we can be so anxious is because we fix our thoughts on ourselves or on the problem and we replay the worst case scenario, what could go wrong over and over. We don't need to do that. We don't need to give over to a, a spirit of fear. But he wants us to, to trust in him. And if we trust in him and surrender that to him, then the three things that we will have, there's three things. The first is that we will have the power. We don't need to try to do things in our own strength. God will allow it. We'll fall on our face eventually. But in that brokenness and humility and contrite spirit, we'll cry out to God. And God's waiting for that to happen. Paul said, it was a thorn in my flesh. He goes, I prayed over and over that it would be delivered. And it didn't. And he said, his grace is sufficient for me. But in my weakness, I am made what? Strong because of the power of God. Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. When you don't have much confidence in yourself, you can have confidence in God's strength and power in you. Amen? A lot of times we are tempted to uh, be afraid when it comes to witnessing, when it comes to sharing our testimony. And Jesus knew this, even with his own apostles who he spent three years with, right? Peter was ashamed to admit that he ran with Jesus. He denied him three times. But after he was baptized with the Holy Spirit, what happened? He boldly proclaimed the good news. Thousands surrendered their life to Jesus because Peter was not ashamed of the gospel. He had power. In Acts 1, 8 it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Evangelism, soul winning, sharing testimonies, 
It isn't for the spiritually elite. It's not for the pastors or small group leaders. It's for every child of God, every disciple, every follower. It should be natural. Now, it won't feel maybe natural at first, but God honors the try. When you start opening up your mouth, he will give you the words. You may feel awkward, but every conversation you have, you're going to learn something. And you're going to go, next time I'm in this situation, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit. So here's my challenge for you. First, small group leaders, I want you to ask someone in your small group, the next time you gather together, one person in your small group to share their testimony. Every single one of us needs to know and be able to communicate our testimony. It's three parts. You can write this down. First, what was your life like before your encounter with Jesus? You can be vulnerable. Be real. Be honest. Second part is how did you come to know Jesus? What was that moment like when you became born again, when you surrendered your life to Jesus? This is the moment in that second part to communicate the good news of Jesus, when you couldn't save yourself, but you believe Jesus is your Savior, your Lord, He's Christ, He's the Messiah, He died on the cross for your sins. The only way you could be saved is through salvation through Jesus' blood on the cross. He rose from the grave, and that power changed your life. And the third part is how has your life changed as a result of following Jesus? Because you have a personal relationship with Jesus, all right? So that's your testimony. Now I'm going to challenge every single one of us in this room. This week, may God open up a door and may you walk through that door and boldly share your testimony. Just in a few minutes. It could be at a lunch hour at work. Maybe you start by just saying, hey, I'd like to hear your story. And they may go, what do you mean? And you could just, hey, share a little bit of your story, either how you grew up or whatever. Listen to their story and then ask permission to share your story, all right? It could be someone in your neighborhood. Maybe it's someone you've been praying for. You have a burden, a friend or a family member who doesn't know Jesus. And I want all of us this week to boldly share the good news of Jesus. It's something that we get to. We don't have to. We get to. And when we do, we're going to sense God's presence with us. The Great Commission says, go and make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that he has called you. And the last part of this Great Commission is what? And lo, I will be with you always. Some of us do not sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is because we're not being obedient to the Great Commission. You want to sense God's presence with you more? Open up your mouth more. All right? Let's be, let's be a church family that's known for being bold witnesses for Jesus. We are living in a world and a culture that is brazen over the values that are in the world and of the enemy. Man, when I saw just saw a portion later and heard about what happened on the Grammys, um, man, just uh, the overt boldness about darkness. And it wants to suppress what we stand for in the Word of God, who Jesus is, and the values that are in the Word of God. We need to, in a spirit of love and humility, be bold in who in our convictions of the Word of God. Amen? Let's be bold. We have power. The second part is that we have love. We can, we can have love and humility and unselfish love. Yes, we need to have power for the miraculous and boldness, but we need to have love. We need to have the right tone when we communicate things that we may disagree with. 
have a heart that really believes in what we're saying. And then we need to have sound mind. We, yes, we need to have good doctrine. But the Lord wants not you to be afraid. He wants you to have a sound mind, a relaxed mind. He wants to give you peace. And Philippians 4.8 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and supplication, make your requests known before the Lord, and He will give you a peace that goes beyond your ability to understand. It's a supernatural peace that the Lord wants to give you. For some of you, you've been struggling for too long. The Lord has seen your tears. He's seen the anxious mind. For some of you, you've been feeling like you've been a slave to depression. You've questioned whether it's worth even living. And that's the enemy trying to rob you of joy and peace in your life. And your Father has good gifts for you. And He wants you to experience freedom and breakthrough. And that can happen. He doesn't want you to be given over to a spirit of fear. Amen? Will you please stand to your feet? We're going to have a time of worship and prayer. But may we just close our eyes. Would you just in your own words, in a spirit of gratitude, just thank the Lord. Just thank the Lord for the blessings in your life. Thank Him for who Jesus is. Come on, just everybody in this room. Let's just boldly lift up our praises to the Lord. Let's adore Him, exalt Him, worship Him. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We know that you inhabit the praises of your people. And, Lord, we're not in a hurry. We spend time in your presence like we're sitting at your feet. Lord, I know that you want to give us power and love and a sound mind. And so we put our eyes on you. Lord, we take every thought into complete captivity of you, Jesus. Where the enemy has tried to bring confusion, doubt, and fear. I pray that in this moment that every voice be silenced in the name of Jesus.